2019 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week, not that, Joe, an opening for an open seat and debate. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. With you today are Ed Tibbetts of the Quad City Times. Good morning, Ed. Morning, James. Thomas Nelson of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, James. Aaron Murphy, Lee Newspapers State House Bureau Chief. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning. And Gazette columnist Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. You can find us every week on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. First up, there's an opening in Iowa, too. Osceola Mayor Thomas Kedley, teacher, waited until the school year was over to kick off his campaign for the U.S. House seat in Iowa's 2nd District. Last week, Kedley turned in his drop slip, saying he thought he could accomplish more serving citizens as mayor. Thomas, uh, what's up with your old classmate dropping out of this race? Well, uh, he said he wants to, he's not yet done in Osceola, that he, he there's more work that, he, that needs to get done there and that he that he's not ready to leave, which I think means that maybe he maybe he realized that other Republican candidates were planning on joining in and that he does not have the name recognition. But I don't know precisely. But it certainly, um, I don't think it also helped the fact that he didn't start campa- campaigning until June um, so I, I think as of right now, the main thing is that he wants to get more, he's, he's saying that he wants to get more done in Osceola. In his announcement, Thomas, he uh, made some reference to being able to do more at the local and state level. Um, is he thinking about running for some state office or is, I was is that another unknown? I was wondering about that myself. And I looked at right now, he's, you know, he'd be the... Actually, both uh, legislator, Iowa legislators in his district are out for re-election, Senator Amy Sinclair and Representative Joel Fry. Um, I don't know whether they're particularly um, uh, vulnerable, but uh, he, he certainly could uh, launch a primary challenge to either one of them. Um, I mean, that you know, it, there's nothing to stop him from doing that at this point. He has a little bit more name recognition from his one-month campaign for uh, the U.S. House of Representatives. So uh, he, he certainly could, uh, you know, that could maybe help him out there. And I think, uh, te- you know, uh, Amy Sinclair, I don't believe, had any, has had really that anyone challenging her uh, prior to uh, 2020 or when she first got elected in 2012. So that would be kind of interesting. That would make for certainly an interesting uh you know, primary race, so he would uh, go against, go against her. I think Joel Fry usually has been able to consistently keep his seat, uh, seat by fairly wide margins, though. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. It also seems it would be unlikely, I think, that he would challenge uh, a fellow Republican, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, that remains to be seen. Uh, at this point, I guess all eyes are on former Illinois Congressman Bobby Schilling, uh, who now lives in Iowa. Uh, to be the Republican candidate in, in the 2nd District. Um, and I, I don't know if this means anything or not, but he recently started following me on Twitter. So, and uh, <laughs> any idea of whether we should be expecting an announcement from Schilling? 
Um, I, I'd be shocked if he doesn't run. Um, I, I think all signs are, uh, are, are that, that he's going to run. Uh, when Emily's List, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, endorsed Rita Hart, uh, showing, um, sent out a reaction to it. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's, I, I think, one thing to think about. Uh, but, you know, when, he, when he's talked to reporters, uh, he's, he's sounded like a guy who's, uh, who's going to run. So I'd be shocked if he doesn't. I, what what does shock me is that uh, is that on both sides uh, of of the fence here that uh, uh, we're seeing so very little interest in in uh, what is a rarity in Iowa an open seat. Mm -hmm. On the Democratic side, there are two candidates who have announced: Rita Hart, uh, former state senator, and, and Fred Hubble's running mate for governor, and then uh, Newman Abouissi from Iowa City, uh, who's a long been involved in Democratic politics there in, in Johnson County, uh, also has announced. So uh, it looks like there'll be a pri Democratic primary, but yeah, it is surprising that there there aren't more Republicans running for that seat. Uh, and, yeah, and Aaron, I, uh, I, oh, go ahead, go ahead, Ed. I, I, was, I was just going to say, I just thought there'd be more people um, who, would, uh, who would throw into the race. Um, so and yeah. maybe we'll see more, but uh, yeah, I just thought there'd be more by now. And, and Aaron, I was going to say, it looks like the Republican National Committee is expecting a race in the second district. Um, they uh, reserve some ad time this week. Yeah, and it's not um, even uh, race specific as far as a, a candidate versus candidate type of advertising. It's it's one of those issue um, ads, but obviously strategically placed in in districts that they expect to be competitive. Um, it's an ad that's going to encourage Iowans to call their uh, congressmen to support the new uh, U.S.-Canada-Mexico trade deal. Um, so, you know, on the surface seems, uh, you know, benign enough, but it, um, it's among the the districts nationwide, it's going and it's going in Iowa one, two, and three. So obviously, in districts that the Republicans feel will be competitive and and trying to put a little heat on Democrats in those um, districts here. And moving from uh, congressional races to the the big enchilada, the presidential race. Um, not that you would have noticed, but another Joe has joined the Democratic field. Uh, Joe Sistick, former Pennsylvania congressman, has uh, kicked off his campaign. Uh, he visited a church in Waterloo and the Sullivan Brothers Iowa Veterans Museum in Waterloo um, last Sunday. Uh, sort of a stealth attack. He didn't make any announcement that he was going to be there, I guess. But fortunately, <laughs> nothing gets by Thomas Nelson, and he was able to catch up with Sistick before he got away. Uh, Tom, what does the 24th candidate in this Democratic field have to offer that the other 23 don't? Well, he is the only, uh, I believe, flag officer who is running at this moment, or pre. And there's no other, no one, no other candidate that has ever been a flag officer who's running. So that's uh, that's certainly something. He, but aside from that, um, you know, he's kind of, he's kind of focusing his campaign overall. Um, uh, not, you know, uh, not national security, but or or immigration, or a lot of other aspects that people have been kind of focusing on in the past. But he's focusing on foreign policy, wanting to restore U.S. Uh, the United States to its leadership role in the world. 
which I think a lot of other candidates have talked about, that that's kind of been a major focal point for him, is that maintaining, you know, bringing the United States back to its, um, you know, front-runner role in the, in the world. And that's, I mean, but it's also important to take into account um, that he is kind of a self-candidate, and I don't, and uh, he's also coming after losing two races for Senate in 2010 and 2016 after uh, running in the, you know, and, and being a representative of a fairly uh, uh, Republican district in Pennsylvania. I mean, he, he did win a, a Republican district that had only been won twice before uh, by a Democrat uh, since, been won once before by a Democrat since the Civil War. Which was kind of, you know, hmm. kind of interesting, but his ability to run a race in, um, you know, Pennsylvania certainly did, I don't think gave him too much uh, clout in Iowa, where he only really had a handful of people. Some reports were saying as four uh, that showed up to his announcement at the Sullivan Brothers Iowa Veterans Museum. But I guess that's what happens when you don't talk, you know, don't let local media what uh, know what's happening. Right. So uh, mm -hmm. will he qualify for any of the debates? Um, no. I mean, I, I guess he still has an opportunity to qualify for the September debates, but uh, um, that'll be the best for No, I don't think he'll have a chance to qualify for any of the debates for quite some time, unless he unless he starts getting more name recognition. Nobody mentioned him uh, in the last two nights, so I, I guess uh, <laughs> <laughs> he didn't get attacked, but. <laughs> Which leads us uh, to the main event here today, uh, talking about the debates. Uh, I don't think you can call a two-part television show a miniseries, but with 20 candidates over two nights, there was plenty of material for a full season of Democratic talking points. Rather than crowd 20 candidates on the stage for one debate, Democrats spread the rhetoric over two nights to give everyone a chance to poke a front-runner in the eye, which seemed to be the the, the tactic on the second night of the debate when Joe Biden was on the stage. Uh, let's talk about uh, who performed well, who didn't perform well, uh, what the what people are going to be talking about this weekend if they're talking about the debates at all. Um, I, I thought it was a case of two really different debates. The first night, uh, some people, you know, Elizabeth Warren was kind of the front runner in that group. She had a strong night. I think uh, Julian Castro really elevated himself. I mean, he's he was in that pack of one percenters, but had a strong debate performance. Uh, and even Bill de Blasio kind of big-footed himself into the debate a couple of times into the discussion, uh, just sort of forcing himself in. And then the second night of the debate was, well, someone described it as a food fight, and that, and that may have been accurate. Um, Ed, uh, let's start with you. What, what's your takeaway from uh, two nights of Democratic debates? Well, I, I mean, I think that it generally takes a few days to shake out who benefits and who doesn't. But having said that, um, you know, uh, first night, I'd say that you're right. Um, Castro uh, did well at the expense of Beto O'Rourke. Uh, I think that Elizabeth Warren did a solid job, and, and so did Amy Klobuchar. Um, on the second night, um, Kamala Harris um, certainly had uh, what I think a lot of people are calling the uh, the breakout moment uh, of the evening, um, and that came at the expense of uh, Vice President Biden. Biden. Um, to what extent, you know, all of these sort of have legs going into uh, the next few days and weeks, you know, I, I don't know. Um, I, I think for a lot of the candidates, um, 
the, the point of the debates was to make it to the next round, and I think that Julian Castro um, certainly helped himself uh, in that respect. And there were others who, uh, uh, you know, who did as well. Um, but you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, uh, if by the time we get around to the second round of debates, um, we we see fewer candidates up there, and I think that might help with the weeding process. Mm -hmm. Aaron, uh, same question to you. Uh, what impressed you favorably or unfavorably watching these debates? Yeah, uh, to me, what, what was interesting to me in, in both watching the debates and then and kind of gauging reactions, seeing what people were saying um, afterwards is um, it, it kind of mirrored uh, what those of us who have been covering these folks for a long time have been seeing, and, and, and now we're hearing it from uh, people that are just maybe just tuning in, that maybe these debates was the first time they've really seen uh, some of these uh, candidates. Um, you know, you hear, um, I, I heard reaction about how impressed they were by uh, Pete Buttigieg, um, um, how, um, uh, um, how they were impressed by the way Cory Booker t uh, took his approach on the first night. A, a lot of these, uh, a lot, it's just a lot of the reactions um, that I've heard um, didn't surprise me, which again speaks to me the the, the fact that um, it's easy for us to forget the, the, those of us who are consuming this 24/7 that there's um, a lot of people who are, have not remotely been paying attention to this and, and just are now starting to. Um, I, I agree with that. I think one of the things. Look, I I have no problem with the way the DNC handled the first round. I. And, and, and you know, partially selfishly from someone who has to um, cover this field, but 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 legitimately too. From from if we're gonna be doing something that's gonna help Democratic voters here, my hope is that the second round is different in that it weans the field a little bit. That it's not just another okay, everybody's <clears throat> who meets these fairly minimal benchmarks gets a chance and we'll throw all the names in the hat. I'm hoping the second round. Um, the debate field is either smaller or it goes to uh, more of a tier system like the Republicans used in 2015, where you had the top polling candidates in, in one debate and, and, the, and the second tier of candidates. Uh, I, I think some kind of um, narrowing needs to happen in, in the second round to make this uh, something that's useful, uh, a useful process to voters. Um, and the last thing, like you touched on, uh, obviously night two stood out as, um, and it's not a surprise. I mean, that's what happens in debates. The, le the leaders get piled up on, and, and we saw um, pointed attacks on Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders um, um, in the in last night's debate. So it'll be interesting to see now if if that had any impact. You know, does the does their support um, <clears throat> get chopped away at? Does does somebody get a debate boost? Um, that's what I'm most interested in now moving forward is is to see if there was any kind of tangible impact here. Um, you know, in the polls and then when we go out to talk and talk to people on the trails if if um people's you know lists of the candidates they're considering if if, if there was any changes in those lists yeah I, I think one of the big questions will be whether or not the, the debates winnow the field 
and, and as you mentioned, Aaron, who gets a bump and at whose expense? I mean, if Kamala Harris gets a bump in the polls, does it come from Joe Biden, you know, at his expense, right. or does it come from, uh, you know, other other folks more on the progressive end of the scale? Thomas, uh, thoughts uh, on these debates? Uh, you want to see uh, more of them, or have you heard enough? I'd love to see more, uh, simply because, uh, uh, kind of going back with what Aaron was saying, I'd like to see it whittled down so I can see some of the major players really focus on their policy positions, because, you know, when you have ten, uh, ten people up for two hours, they're not going to get a lot of time to talk. I mean, uh, what was that? During the first debate, uh, 538 and the New York Times just, like, broke down how many minutes each candidate had a chance to speak. And, you know, the person that spoke the most, Cory Booker, during the first debate, only spoke for 11 minutes. And you can't get a lot of policy and you can't, like, make your position very clear in 11 minutes. Uh, you can get part of it out there, but when you have five different topics, you can't get a really into the weeds on that. And that's kind of what I'm looking forward to, because overall, I think these debates are a question of the old guard versus the new guard, where you're seeing um, candidates like Joe Biden, who are kind of the the standard bearer of the old Democratic Party uh, going against people, uh, going against Kamala Harris and uh, Bernie Sanders and Cory Booker, who are kind of holding the banner for the new guard. Uh, it was really expressed clearly when you when you had them ask questions such like when they asked, uh, you know, who supports uh, getting rid of, you know, privatized health care. And you only saw four candidates overall raise their hand to that one of whom uh, took, you know, contradicted her answer this morning, Kamala Harris, who raised her hand last night in favor of it with uh, Bernie Sanders, uh, said in, a, in an interview today that she doesn't actually, uh, that she misunderstood the question, that she still wants to allow people to have privatized insurance in some way or, fa uh, way or form. But that's, that's kind of these questions that I'd like to see really then get really into the weeds on about how they hope to pay for that and how if they if they if that's something worth supporting or whether or not there's you know the more intricate ideas about healthcare as Donald Trump said very famously I think uh, when he, shortly after he was elected healthcare is complicated. <laughs> speaking of speaking time, who knew? Uh, Chuck, <laughs> Chuck Todd was one of the the leaders in speaking time in that first uh, debate. Uh, Took longer than seven of the candidates. Uh, Todd, Todd, uh, bring us home here. Um, what, what, what should we know about these debates? Well, I, I mean, I agree with, with a lot of what was said. I, I, I think, uh, it's, you know, put the two nights together, I think Kamala Harris probably got the biggest boost out of these debates. She was forceful and, and uh, you know, she was just a commanding presence. She, you know, Hit Joe Biden hard. He took it on the chin. Uh, you know, I, I think that's you know what we were looking for in in this before it all happened was you know what, how are they going to go after Biden? What are they going to say? Is he going to be damaged? And I think he is dented up after this. I mean, yeah, I, I saw a lot of a lot of chatter on social media. People were uh, impressed with Pete Buttigieg. I mean, he's he's just so perfect and polished and always has the right thing to say it's almost like he's some sort of android sent by aliens to save the planet or something he's just it's like watching data from star trek the next generation run for president it's it's just it's not flappable it's it's really interesting even when he was confronted with the south bend situation with the officer involved shooting he didn't flinch he admitted 
that he had failed, that he had not gotten things done, which is a contrast to Joe Biden, who stood there and, and tried to argue that it was okay to be against busing, which didn't obviously come off so well. So I think, you know, I think it's been said by someone here that the sort of new guard, the, the, the forward uh, generation of candidates probably won these debates, and the, and the old guard, Joe Bidens and Bernie Sanders, sort of took it on the chin. Although, on the other hand, if you go to a movie theater right now, you can watch, um, you know, Men in Black and, and uh, Child's Play and Toy Story, so maybe nostalgia is, is what Americans want. I guess you can sell both messages. <laughs> Uh, write your, make your own message here. I guess is uh, the <laughs> is the message. Uh, <laughs> very interesting. Well, that's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. I hope it's been worth your time, and thanks for listening. If you like the show, tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher. Fan mail may be sent to oniowapolitics at gmail com. And you can find us every week on the home pages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Jed Larry will take us out today. And if you know a band or a talented Iowa musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and remember to follow us on Twitter and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. For Thomas, Ed, Aaron, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening.